Hi, I'm Rick Thomas, and we're doing Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you being here. Uh, it's the it's my desire to serve you, and that's why we do what we do at this ministry, and we're grateful for all of you who watch the videos, listen to the podcast, read the articles. Uh, may I request that you know, if you do benefit from our resources, would you share those with others? Uh, if you would, I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, the heart of our ministry, my heart most definitely, uh, is to share the practical message of Christ with as many people as we possibly can. Uh, God did a work in my heart many decades ago as I found myself stuck in the mire of sin, couldn't extricate myself. And actually, I was in Bible college, and that was the most perplexing part, is that I was studying the Bible. I was deep into theology. It was a fantastic experience as far as my academic journey was concerned. But when suffering came into my life, I did not know how to connect the Bible to the realities of what was going on with me. And that was depressing, to be honest with you. I mean, it really highlighted a deficit in my life. And through a series of providential circumstances, the guidance of the Lord, He connected me with a few individuals over the years and organizations, and I began to learn how to practicalize the Bible uh, in relevant ways, and that has become my mission. I mean, it, it is my heart and is the heart of our ministry. The thing that we do specifically is in the area of sanctification. We love to evangelize. We want to tell all people who haven't heard of the freedom that they can have in Christ through regeneration. We want them to know. Uh, but our specific niche is in the area of sanctification, working with Christians globally, helping them to take the Bible knowledge that they already know and to connect it in practical ways on Tuesday morning in their living rooms. And that is the heart of our ministry. That is why uh, we call it Life Over Coffee. We believe that any Christian can do life with another believer, whether it's over coffee or for those watching by video, I have a glass of water here. You can do glass over, uh, do, do uh, life over water as well. But the big idea is that we can care for each other. Uh, but my experience personally, what happened to me many decades ago, and then now through a quarter of a century of doing biblical counseling, is that uh, it has been proven over and over again that many of us do struggle connecting those wonderful truths in God's Word to our lives in a practical way. And so that is who we are. Now, if you benefit from this ministry, I praise God that He has chosen to uh, work in your heart by using this ministry as one of the tools in your toolbox. And if you believe in what we do, uh, my appeal to you is that you would share our resources with as many people as you can find, uh, that you would just send uh, the articles, the podcasts, the videos to whosoever will. Our resources are free. We create them uh, made a decision a long time ago that we're just going to roll the sovereign dice and just trust God uh, that he would underwrite our ministry, and he has been faithful uh, to do that. And so now we have the privilege of creating these resources 
so you can receive them freely and so other people can too. And so this is a a wonderful missional opportunity for all of us. And I just wanted to take some time uh, to thank you for watching, for listening, for reading. And then also, if you haven't shared our content, do, do it. We have so many platforms, meaning all of us, uh, through social media. Uh, you probably, most of you, have access to some social media platform. So all you have to do real simply is just copy a link and you can put a note on it. Say, hey, read this. This will help you. Or you can send it privately by email. Or you can print off our articles also and uh, just give them to a friend. Put them in a letter the old-fashioned way and just mail this to somebody and uh, let them have a hard copy of, of one of our articles. And, and that, is, that, is, that is the kindest thing that you could do for us. And so, again, thank you for being here. Thank you for uh, staying with us. Thank you for sharing our content, and please continue uh, to do that. Recently, I had a friend come to me, and he, he asked one of those complex questions uh, that I gave him an answer to, but I wasn't able to fully develop it. It's one of those questions that when you're standing at the back of the church building on Sunday morning and somebody comes and asks this whopper uh, question, and of course you have all the distractions of, of Sunday morning, and so you're not able to maybe focus or you're interrupted or you got somewhere you got to uh, get off to because of obligations. And so Sunday morning can sometimes be a stretch. Uh, as far as trying to give thorough responses to questions that people ask. And so my friend asked me one of those questions, and I was not able to give a good solid response, uh, but I did give him a half-baked answer. Uh, it was good, but not good enough. And so I thought about his question and decided, I'm, I'm just going to come home and, and, and uh, bang out some uh, more notes and really work this out because I think it would benefit, I, I know it will benefit you too. And so I want to share with you the question that he asked, and then I'll give you the context as to why he asked the question, and then I want to give you uh, an analysis. I want to unpack the question for you. Okay, so here's the question. He said, Rick, how can a Christian sin like that and say that he's a Christian? And so if you stretch his sentence out on a line, uh, there would be two heavy weights, on uh, one weight on each side of it. And so on one end... The heavy weight is, how can a Christian sin like that? And then if you run down to the end of the sentence, the other end, it says, and he says he's a Christian. Now, that is a complex question. And what my friend is trying to do, he's trying to bring those two things together. And he's trying to reconcile them. How can a Christian sin like that and say that he is a Christian? So that's the, that's the question. Now, the context is, is that he has a friend who sinned like that. And he's struggling because his friend is a, a professed Christian, a man of, of good, well, presumably Christian character, uh, reputation. And there was this hidden sin in his life that has, has come to light. It has bubbled up, and now it's exposed. And now there's like, wow, uh, I thought you were a Christian. Why did you sin like that? And so my friend wants to care for this man. And that's really the kind of friend that you want. I mean, don't you want a, a small network of friends who 
love you enough that they're willing to uh, look at your life, not in a judgmental way. No, there's no place for that. Uh, Not in a cynical way, not in a harsh or uncharitable way, but in a redemptive way uh, with a motivation to bring transformation and to bring care. Uh, to a person, a, a person who wants to be obedient to what Paul said in Galatians 6, 1. Brothers, if, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you, you who are spiritual, my friend is spiritual. He, he wants to help the caught person in a spirit of gentleness. He wants to cooperate with God in the restoration of his soul and doing it in a spirit of gentleness and keeping watch on himself so he so that he too is not tempted as he does this redemptive transformative work in his friend's life. Now that is the kind of friend that we want. And I trust that you have at least one good friend who loves you enough to talk about your problems in a non-judgmental, loving, redemptive Way And so as my friend is working through, he's, he's shocked because he did not know this. This is previously hidden truth that has now come to light. And so he's wrestling with it. And so part of the process of restoring him in a spirit of gentleness, uh, he, first he has to reconcile these two weights that are hanging on each end of this sentence, this question that he's asking. And so he comes to me and he says, I, I need some advice. I need some counsel. So you can you help me? And so that's what I want to work through here. I, I want to answer that question thoroughly, and I trust it will benefit you because it is relevant. Because the truth is, as I will explore in, in a moment, the truth is we all sin that way, or we all sin in certain ways. And we call ourselves Christians. I, I assume you are a Christian if you are and so here, here we are as Christians, but yet we sin. And so how can we reconcile that? So I trust that there will be benefit for you. And then maybe there is someone in your life that you need to go to in a spirit of gentleness and re- restore them as you reconcile work with this sin in their life and the fact that they are God's child. So let's talk about it. I've titled this, How Can a Christian Sin Like That? And say, he's a Christian. Thanks again. For being here. There are times when our behaviors just do not align uh, with God's Word. Uh, maybe you could think of God's Word like a, a ruler, you know, like a, a straight line. And our objective in life is to walk down that straight line. Uh, but we're also Christian realists. Uh, what I mean is that we live in reality, and the reality is nobody can walk down a straight line perfectly, not on this side of heaven. It's one of the reasons we praise God for First John 1, 9. John was a Christian realist. He wants us to be holy as God is holy, but he recognizes that Christians sin, and so he writes these very helpful, encouraging words that if we confess our sins, God will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I, and I don't want you to hear in any of this, because John's not doing this, and I'm definitely not doing this. I'm not making an allowance for sin. I'm not saying it's okay. I don't want to create space for sin. In fact, I hate sin, and I, I trust you do too. Hate is a word that I, I rarely use. I, I put hate over here in a special place, and I don't pull hate out, hardly ever at all. Uh, You wouldn't hear me say that I I hate mayonnaise or I hate the traffic. 
I dislike mayonnaise. I disdain mayonnaise. I don't see how anyone can eat mayonnaise. And I do struggle with some of the traffic and traffic patterns in our town. But I would not pull out hate to describe those things, even though I'm, I don't like those things, because I want to reserve the word hate for uh, special occasions and unique situations that I attach it to because I want to be, I, I want it to be as strong as possible to communicate how I think about certain situations. And so I just don't use the word hate, except for things like I hate sin, I hate the devil. And so I hate sin, and I'm not making a, an allowance for it, but we live zigzaggy as we move down that line. None of us can walk down that line straight. And if we say that we have no sin, if you go back a few verses in 1 John, if we say that we have no sin, then we, we are liars, and the truth is not in us. And so John was a Christian realist. He understood that we are to be holy, but yet we're zigzaggy, and he hated sin. James understood this concept in James chapter 1, where he talked about the double-minded person. I mean, some days we feel like a nut, and, and, and some days we, we don't. That's my paraphrase of, of James 1. But James is saying that, that, that there, there are days where we will appropriate the, the wisdom that comes down from above, and we will appropriate it in our, in our lives, and it will keep us on that straight path and, and praise God. And then there are other days when we will go zigzaggy because the wind will kick up and the waves will start roaring and we will find ourselves in places of instability, and it's almost like we have two heads, like we're double-minded. And so he was a Christian realist as well, understanding the complexity of sin and the adversarial nature that we have with it. And so we don't want to sin, but we can sin, and it is a possibility because we're Christian realists. Now, there's another demographic of people who sin too, but they are not Christians, and we need to entertain both thoughts. And so my friend is asking me, how can you sin like that and say that you're a Christian? Well, I can make a strong case that you can be a Christian, as I have been saying. But then there is this other demo, this other group of people, and Jesus talked about them in Matthew 23. If you've never read it, I would encourage you to do so. If you haven't read it in a while, maybe it would be worth revisiting where he, this is like his longest treatise, warning, uh, explicit communique on the deceitfulness of sin and the danger of presenting yourself as a Christian, or in this case, presenting yourself as religious people. He was talking about the Pharisees. But by implication and analogy, you can see how that could apply to a Christian, that you present yourself as a religious person, that the platter is clean on the outside, that the graves are whited and pretty and dressed up on the outside, but the inside is rotting corpses. And he said, no, that is not how you can't live that way. And you need to address what is broken inside of you. And so it is possible that you can sin like that and not be a Christian. And so that is something that I want to work through because, again, this lifelong struggle with sin is something that we want to fight fiercely 
uh, and we want to carefully examine ourselves. And so answering the question, how can a Christian sin like that, it has some complexity, and it is worth our time exploring. And so that's what I want to do here. Now, I want to begin by, uh, by talking about the danger of the question. He says, how can he sin like that? And here's the danger. The danger is, is that we can possibly be tempted to categorize sins in, in like two columns. Maybe, you know, Jerry Bridges would talk about acceptable sins or refined sins. And so we could have a life-dominating sin pattern, but we put those sins over here in this acceptable column. Sins like worry and fear, anger, gossip, uh, lack of moderation, lack of self-control, overindulgence, we eat too much, shop too much, consume too much social media. And that could be a life-dominating sin that, that uh, impedes or hinders uh, our call to go into all the world and make disciples. And, and, but we don't see those life-dominating sins the way that we would see the more heinous sins over here. And so we can create these two columns, these two categories, and we can stand over here in category A, the refined sins, or category A, the acceptable sins. And we can look over here in category H, the heinous sins, as though we are disconnected from this, as though this doesn't even apply to us. And so that is a danger. And so in one sense... We put all of these life-dominating sins into one category, and even though maybe my sin or your sin consequentially is not as bad as the other sin, we do have to make room for putting them all in one and not extracting ourselves from the critique as though we can't sin like that and call ourselves a Christian. The truth is, we all sin like that, whatever that may be, whatever your life-dominating sin is. We all sin like that, and let's say for the sake of this conversation, and we call ourselves Christians. And so we want to make sure that we don't separate sins and then judge other people harshly as though we don't have our struggles. Now, with that said, it is true that sins are different. You can come at this from a couple different angles. I mean, first of all, from a consequential perspective. Some of you know that have been following me for a while. You know that I had two brothers that have been murdered uh, 10 years apart in 1987, 1997. And murder is a form of anger. And so, you know, if I had my preference, the two people who murdered them, uh, they're angry. I would rather for them to unlike them on Facebook, diss them, and that form of anger versus murdering them, okay? And so consequentially, obviously sin can be different. And so while we want to put ourselves, all of us, in the collective, in that we have life-dominating sins, we also recognize that some sins are different Consequentially, we also recognize that God puts a heavier weight on some sins than others, and you see that 
in the Old Testament, as you read how he talked about what to do with, with some people who sinned a certain way versus other sins. And so God put a heavier weight on some sins. There are consequences that are different for sins. But if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we all struggle with sins that are unique to us, though maybe our sins don't make anybody's top 10 list of most heinous sins. And so in one sense, I want to level the playing field so that we're not judging people uncharitably as though we are different. In reality, there is some similarity here because we all struggle with some kind of life-dominating sin. And I imagine for most of us, it's things like fear, worry, anxiousness, anger, those types of things. So, okay, so before I respond to the why does he sin like that and call, him a, call himself a, a Christian, I do want to address this universal struggle, this common collective struggle that we all have with, with sin and temptation. And so the question that we want to ask first is why do we struggle? Why are we like him, he who sins like that? And I want to share with you eight responses. One of them is uh, we're born in sin. The theological term for this is total depravity. Adamic. We're born in Adam. We are Adamic creatures. Total depravity. It's a part of our Adamic wiring. We come into the world totally broken, body and soul. We come into the world decaying, wasting away, as Paul would say to the Corinthians. Our bodies are wasting away. Isaiah would uh, talk about uh, us spiritually as, as filthy garments. Uh, Paul would, if you read um, Romans chapter 3, verses 10, 11, and 12, you can't get out of those three verses without realizing that we are totally broken people. And so one of the reasons that we struggle like that is because we, we're totally depraved. Number two, we all sin uniquely. And so we're totally depraved universally across the board, through and through, but yet we sin differently. If you have children, you know this, that your, your children, are, if, you, if you have two children, three or more, you, you know that they're different. I mean, one child sins this way, the other doesn't. We see that in our children. If you're married, uh, your spouse sins differently than you. If you have a close friend, you sin differently from them. And so, one, we're all totally depraved. That's why we struggle. Two, uh, we, we sin uniquely to us. Three, reasons we struggle. Number three, we have adverse shaping influences. We have these things that have shaped us into the person that we are. And I'm thinking specifically prior to salvation. And, and so we were darkened we had adverse shaping. One of those was Adam, of course, born in Adam. That's a huge shaping influence. Our parents shaped us, and we had other shaping influences. And so we're totally depraved. We sin uniquely. We have adverse shaping influences. Number four, we form habits 
over years and decades of our lives. And I'm talking about sinful habits to where we yield to the temptation to sin. We, we are habituated creatures, and because we're born in Adam, because we have unique uh, temptations, because of these adverse shaping influences, uh, it shapes us in a certain way that creates habituations to where we, we sin. Uh, we yield those habits uh, cause us to yield to those temptations. Number four, why we struggle, why we sin like that. Number five, regeneration. Now we're moving to the other end of the sentence, if you are a Christian. And so the first four things that I listed is, is why we sin like that. And then we move to the other end of his question. Uh, and you call yourself a Christian? Well, yeah, I mean, so we all sin, we all struggle, and now... We have the possibility, number five, is regeneration, to be born again. Regeneration is the bad habit breaker, and that's what regeneration does. It breaks our bad habits. It gives us a new way of living. And so number six is post-salvation. Now, this is important. Post-salvation, though we are born again, regenerated, generated a second time, spiritually speaking, now we have a post-salvation experience, number six, and we bring our former manner of life into our Christian experience. And this is what Paul was saying in Ephesians 4.22, that you have a former manner of life. You Christians, you have a former manner of life. You got saved, but you, you brought in your total depravity. You brought in your unique way of sinning. You brought in these adverse shaping influences. You brought in your uh, temptations. And though regeneration is the bad habit breaker, you still brought all of that former manner of life into your Christian experience. And so you can say that you can sin like that and be a Christian. Now, there's one other complexity here, number seven, is that some Christians will struggle more post-salvation than other Christians. And one of the reasons for that is depending on when they were regenerated. Let's say that a person was saved at seven years of age. And I'll use my wife as an illustration. God regenerated her when she was seven or eight. I don't remember, something like that. And so she was regenerated early, and because of that, and, and she was born physically uh, in, in a Christian home, and so because of her early salvation experience, her former manner of life was not as twisted as, say, mine. God regenerated me when I was 25 years old, and so I had a quarter century of a former manner of life that I brought into my Christian experience. She had seven years, the first seven years of her former manner of life that she brought into her Christian experience. Therefore, her struggles have not been as monumental or mountainous or complex as my struggles. My struggles have been much harder for me to work through than her because she was regenerated when she was seven or eight, I was regenerated when I was 25. And then number eight, why do we struggle? The conclusion 
is that Christians will sin. And so I, the first part of this question, why can you sin like that and call yourself a Christian, I've been answering, why do we all struggle? We struggle, one, we're born totally depraved. Number two, we uniquely sin. Number three, we all have adverse shaping influences. Number four, we form bad habits that yield to temptation. Number five, as we move to the other end, we're regenerated. And I, and I, and I trust that you are regenerated. You've been born again, the bad habit breaker. And then your post-salvation experience, you bring your former manner of life into your Christian experience. And then number seven, some people have a different kind of former manner of life, as I was illustrating with my wife and myself. She had an abbreviated former manner of life, praise God. I had a pro elongated former manner of life. And so my struggles have been more complex than hers. But the conclusion, number eight, is that Christians sin. And so to answer his question, how can you sin like that and call yourself a Christian? Well, we all do. And so that's part of the answer. And so we know why Christians sin, but there is a more vital question that we need to ask. Since all Christians sin, how are we accessing the means of grace that God provides for us to change? And there are five means of grace that come to mind. How do you change? Well, first, God will change you. God can change you. In 2 Timothy 2, 24-25, God can grant repentance. And so God initiates in our lives. And so how are we engaging God and, and, and just begging Him to bring change into our life? Another way that we can change is the Word of God. The Word is a lamp to our feet, a light into our path. In John 17, 17, sanctify them with truth. Your Word is, is truth. And so God can change us. The Word of God can change us. And then we have a personal responsibility. We have to be doers of the Word. Our sanctification is not just a passive act that God does to us. He does. He changes us. The Word works in us, but we have a responsibility to put on and to be doers of the Word. And so God changes us. The Word changes us. We change ourselves. God uses situations, another means of grace. Joseph talked about this in Genesis. You meant it for evil. You meant all of these situations for evil. God meant it for good. God was using these situations to move his gospel narrative forward. God uses situations in Jonah's life, Moses's life, Paul's life, Christ's life, our life. He uses the situations in our life uh, to mature us. And then number five is community. We spur one another on to love and good deeds. There are so many one another's in the New Testament. We have a responsibility, which is what my friend is doing. He wants to gain clarity on this question. How can you sin like that and call yourself a, a Christian? And so he's part of that community, and he wants to be intentionally intrusive in his friend's life. And so the first part the answer to his question, how can you sin like that and call yourself a Christian? Well, first of all, we all sin, as I, I was exploring with those eight illustrations that I gave. And then I said the more vital question to ask is how are you accessing 
Or are you accessing the means of grace that God gives us to change? And I've listed five means of grace. God will change us. His word will change us. We are to change ourselves, doers of the word. He will use situations to change us and the community of faith to change us. And then finally, if your friend is not accessing these means of grace and sin has captured him, then what is happening? Why is he not changing? Now, that's a deeper question. And so we all sin. We all struggle with some life-dominating sin for reasons that I have put forth. We have a means of working through that. We have means of grace. I've listed five. But if your friend sins like that, professes to be a Christian, and is not changing, well, then there are some more considerations. And I want to present four things for you to consider as I wrap up. One is he might not be a Christian. He could be a Matthew 23 person, a religious person. Uh, Or he could be tares among the wheat, wolf among the sheep, a Pharisee among the Christians. Maybe he's not a Christian. I'm not saying he's not, but you have to put this on the table. You have to look at this card It's one of the four that I'm going to present to you. Maybe he's not a Christian. I don't know. But I can't ignore the fact, if I'm going to love him well, and I'm asking this question, how can you sin like that and call yourself a Christian? Well, maybe he's not a Christian. He has to be born again. Because if he's not born again, the light is off, he has no power whatsoever, and he can't do anything other than that because there's no juice. The Spirit of God is not empowering him. The Word of God, is he can't access those means of grace. Uh, the Word of God is not doing what, it doesn't have the efficacy that it needs. He can't be a doer of the Word because he hasn't been born again. He will not see his situations from a redemptive opportunity. And the community of faith cannot spur him on to loving good deeds because the light is off and he is powerless. The car doesn't have an engine. And so if he's not changing, maybe he's not a Christian. Number two, he might be a Christian, but caught in sin. This is Galatians 6.1. I'll not belabor the point. I've already mentioned it. Because we all can sin, and we find ourselves in our unique habituations, whether it's column A, the acceptable sins, or column H, the heinous sins. For various reasons, we find ourselves caught in sin, and maybe that's what's going on, and you want to explore and begin the restoration process according to Galatians 6. One. Number three, if he is a struggling believer and been struggling for a long time, then his conscience could be dulling to where he's becoming desensitized to it and his habit is gaining more power over him because of a dull dull conscience is your inner voice. And so his internal moral thermostat is dialing down uh, to where his sensitivity to the Spirit of God to where darkness is starting to creep in over light. This is what the Hebrew writer was saying in 3.7, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And so 
Maybe there's some hardening going on, and you have a dull believer over here, so he might not be a Christian. He could be caught in some habituation. He could be a struggling believer with a dull conscience. And then number four, maybe he's aware of what he's doing and just doesn't care. Perhaps he's a Christian and he's just walking away from the faith. Maybe he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Maybe he just doesn't care. Those are four considerations. And so I'm answering the question, how can you sin like that and call yourself a Christian? One, we all sin like that to one degree or another. Two, the more vital question is, are we accessing the means of grace that I presented to you so that we can continue to change? Number four, if we are not changing, then there's four options there that you can look at. We might not be a Christian, maybe just caught because of various things or reasons. Could be dulling our conscience to where we become desensitized to God's word. Maybe we are a wolf in sheep's clothing. All of us are susceptible to sin's temptations. And so we want to be careful not to harshly judge those who sin. And so here's a few questions for you to think about. Uh, that you can apply and or think through or have this conversation with a friend. Number one, how are you building a reciprocal community that is intentionally intrusive in each other's lives? How are you building that community? Are you building that community to where you can love each other like my friend is mobilizing to love his friend as he gains clarity on this question? Number two, how do you envision your friends to be honest, where nobody will judge or gossip but receive help? Meaning you're creating an environment of grace. You want to envision them, hey, you can be honest here. We will not judge you. We're not going to gossip about you. This is a place where you can receive help. Are you creating that vision within your sphere of friends? Number three, how are you preparing yourself to help others? If you're envisioning them to be honest, and letting them know that you'll not be judged here, and you can receive help, well, then the question is, are you able to help? You see, we have to be competent in our soul care practices, or it would defeat the purpose of asking folks to be transparent and honest. I mean, they could be saying, why should I be transparent and honest when you have no game? Why should I be transparent and honest when you can't help me? Why should I go to the doctor and tell the doctor what's wrong with me when the doctor has no skill or ability to help me? And so the question is, as you create that vision for being honest and a place where you can receive help, how are you preparing yourself to be a help provider, a soul care provider? And then number four, all of us have brought our former manner of life into our Christian experience. And that is a sober call for us to do four things. Examine ourselves, create sanctification context for change, spur each other on to love and good works, and then pray for those who are stuck in their unique sin patterns. I've titled this, according to the question that was presented to me, How Can a Christian Sin Like That and Say That He Is a Christian? If we can serve you in any other way, please take advantage of our free resources. We do have supporting member forums, private forums for private conversations, and you're welcome to become a supporting member if, if that works for you. Otherwise, please uh, take our resources and and, and uh, there's many that are linked, actually, inside of this one. 
And so you can do a deeper dive, even more than what I've gone through here, if you want to continue to study. The title of this, again, how can I... Uh, how can a Christian sin like that and say he's a Christian? And so if you search that, some version of that in the search box, you'll be able to find my show notes here. The podcast and the video will also be embedded. Thank you so much. God bless. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.